0: the news out of Iran that four of our brothers in Christ converts from Islam to Christianity have been, um, sentenced to long-term, um, prison sentences for converting to Christianity, which is illegal in Iran, um, certainly highlights the importance of the Iran alive ministries. We talked yesterday with, um, Hermuz, uh, Shariat, about that. If you missed that program, please go back and listen to the podcast. Um, We also talked yesterday about, you know, the the global day of prayer for um, people who are from Muslim backgrounds. And we talked with Ruth Kramer about that from Mission Network News. You know, where God is bringing revival— those who are contrary to the gospel are going to be stirred up, not only in violence against, but they're going to use um, whatever the the government has uh, to wield against those who um, are advancing the gospel. And so let us be an ardent prayer today, not only for these four brothers, but for the millions like them around the world who, um, for whom Christianity is is not only a, a liberty that we enjoy as as people, um, but it becomes then also a jail sentence um, or the, the ignition for persecution. And that leads me to a headline here in the United States that um, is troubling. Dr. Albert Moeller does a, uh, a podcast called uh, The Briefing and you can find it at albertmohler.com. Yesterday, he addressed this concern related to the human rights campaign, which is demanding that uh, President-elect Biden and his administration actually deny accreditation to Christian schools and colleges, just outright deny them accreditation. Now, that would would take away um the ability of these institutions, including the one that you're listening to right now. Uh, Faith Radio is a part of the Northwestern Media Group, which is a part of the ministry of the University of Northwestern St. Paul, which is a distinctively Christian school. And so this is, um, this is important, important for us to pay attention to. The Human Rights Campaign um, has issued a document directing that the incoming administration um, really do everything that they want. The document is called Blueprint for Positive Change 2020, and it demands that the president-elect adopt a legislative agenda and enact specific executive orders that advance the LGBTQ uh, agenda. And the most, uh, most concerning and quite unambiguous um, demand is that any Christian college and university that does not align with the LGBTQ agenda be stripped of its accreditation. Um, which would be the death knell for those institutions. And so let's be paying attention to what people are demanding, and let's certainly be paying attention to how the administration responds. Next up, Peter Kapster. I call this segment uh, Fifty Shades of Truth. Let's see what he's got for us today. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Now, Dr. Peter Kapsner, I, you know, there's so many things I could say about you. Let's just let that introduction stand right there.
2: I was going to say that that scares me actually a little bit. That pause and and, and that invitation potentially there. So <laughs> it, that that I mean, you know, one of the things people don't know deal. about you. Yeah, what's that?
0: Pe- there's a lot of things people don't know about you, and so that's true. It's it's, I try it's to keep always it a way. Yeah, I know. Okay, so yeah, it's a troubling headline. Um, I don't I don't anticipate it's going to get a lot of traction. Um, but what the human rights campaign is demanding is that uh, the incoming administration would, quote, ensure that non-discrimination policies and science-based curriculum are not undermined by religious exemption to accreditation standards. So it's just in a direct assault on accreditation. I mean, there's, there's yeah, some, it, they're not even it. hiding it.
2: No, no, no about the implications we're literally at the moment in my human sexuality class that i've had the the opportunity to teach for the better part of eight years at northwestern and we're right in that section where we're going into the science of same gender attraction and we're going into the science of gender dysphoria and uh and so many of the different kind of letters by which people identify themselves sexually and it, it classic case of mainstream science or what what gets accepted as what is true quote unquote about a scientific approach uh, is very different than when you actually poke into the scientific world on this, where there is a lot of mixed opinion about uh, the, quote, science of sexuality and, and the idea that people would get an orientation or a gene or something along those lines that would then create a fixed identity. And in fact, most science, in fact, uh, almost all of it would reject the idea that there's fixed a set of genes that, that give you a sense of identity among the different letters. But I'll tell you what, Carmen, we, we wouldn't be able to teach that because of what is now the accepted state mandated curriculum about what constitutes the sexual identity of young people and so my very class that I would teach today in fact would be deeply impacted by something like this and 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 that does impact our young people they're so impressionable right especially at these ages they're they're just leaving their home they're trying to make sense of the world and professors really do have an inordinate impact on on the lives and the thinking of students for sure
0: yeah and accreditation matters. I mean, I don't know. Would you send your kid to a non-accredited school? I mean, exactly. I don't know. Would you pay for that? I mean, it's good questions to ask. Okay. Really uh, you and I um, have some conversational fodder teed up to talk about today. And yeah. in fact, it's not this. So um, I read this piece in Religion and Politics, Why the Partisan Divide uh, is is really a theological divide. Um, so the U.S. is becoming more secular and more religious um, Tell us, tell us what this is telling, what this article is telling us about ourselves.
2: Yeah, it's pretty interesting when they chart the demographic trends in the United States, especially over the last thirteen years since two thousand seven. The the article made the case to say that there was a pretty stable religious influence in the United States from nineteen ninety one to, to two thousand seven, and what we mean by that is the idea that most people, or at least the majority of people in the United States, professed some sort of religious organizational affiliation. It, religion was kind of just part of the fabric of daily life. This, these are the stories that people from maybe my generation, your generation, Paul's generation tell of Wednesday night youth group, of Sunday night church services, of maybe uh, one or two services on a Sunday, certainly a potluck, uh, or, or some kind of gathering after church, where the religious organization really was the, the fabric that held together so many different kinds of, of communities. And and so there to be a secularist or to be somebody who does not associate or, or, or identify with an affiliation in a religious organization was pretty unusual in the 1990s and, and all the way even to the early 2000s. And then we went through a pretty substantive sea change in 2007, where since that time, the rise of secularism in the United States, again, people who say they are religious nuns or don't are religious really in any meaningful way has actually surpassed those who would be considered deeply religious. It's about 100 million Americans that would call themselves secularists, so almost a quarter of our country. And it's about 85 million Americans that would call themselves deeply religious. And then there's, you know, the great in between people who might be nominal religious associates, uh, that kind of thing. But that change is pretty massive, and, and people are trying to get their head around what that means because it is creating a lot of the tension because some of these ideas get wrapped up into our political sphere, to say the least. And, and so some of the tension we're currently experiencing in our politics is a direct result of that. And I think there's a lot of other things we could talk about, Carmen, about that. I'll leave it there for now, but I found it interesting their explanation as to why the secularism and, and that's where I'd probably have some points of disagreement with them. But uh, but that's sort of the general shape of things right now is when historians look back 100 years from now, one of the things that they'll note because they're always looking for demographic changes that are substantial to try to then explain what happened. And 2007 is going to be one of those moments in the United States of America where something really changed.
0: All right, let's um, let's take a very brief break, Peter, and then when we come back, um, let's talk about what you take issue with, um, and we're going to talk about what it means to be secular. Is it more than just being religiously unaffiliated? Um, I'm also going to pose the question: Is secularism a religion of sorts? That's up next mm. here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, uh, Mary, you uh, you are asking. Um, have we had anyone on the show to talk about how to share the gospel? I would encourage you to go back and listen to yesterday's conversation um, with uh, Dr. Um, Hermuz Shariot, who is sharing the gospel actively with the 84 million people in Iran, um, and he did demonstrate how to share the gospel. Um, also encourage you to go check out the Salvation Series by my colleague, uh, Bill Arnold, which he did in part with my current guest, Peter Kapsner. So all kinds of um, of opportunities for you to till that particular um, soil. Uh, in short, Mary, here's how you do it. Um, you have a conversation with a person. You actually become a student of them long enough to um, identify their felt need. Uh, and then you talk about who God is in answering that as the one who loves us. And then you talk about how God demonstrated his love for us in Jesus Christ. Um, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, and the only peace that we could ever have with God comes um, through Jesus Christ. I encourage you to read Romans five, the first five verses. Um, the full gospel is contained therein, and an opportunity to walk people into the peace that passes understanding as a disciple of the Prince of Peace. And then you got to invite them to pray, um, to you know, to share their felt need with God, accept His um, His grace in the midst of that, and then recognize that from there. It's a lifelong journey forward of sanctification, where we become conformed by one degree of glory to another in cooperation with the Holy Spirit more and more like Christ. Uh, And thus, we get called Christians. All right, Peter, back to our conversation um, about secularism, the growing secularism here in the United States. It does require our ability as Christians to articulate the gospel Um, And and there's a reason there's a reason that we are where we are as a country in terms of a growing secularism. So um, talk a little bit about secularism and maybe uh, maybe what you disagree with in terms of how people think we got here.
2: Well, and I, I really appreciate Mary's question and what you just did there, Carmen. And and the sharing of the gospel is something that we are uh, commanded to do. The the way we share it and the method by which we share it is going to be different and is going to shift and adapt according to our circumstances. And and our circumstances really have shifted in these last thirteen years as a country. And when I saw the article and and it said that there was a big change that began to take shape in two thousand seven, where people were moving away from religious organizations and into more of a secularistic kind of mindset. I had this kind of ding, ding, ding thing go off in my head, because I remember when I was teaching in that same year, and I refer to it often, at at the very same time in 2007, in my classrooms, I went, if I had 100 students in a given year, and I've told this story a bunch of different times, but I might have had one that was really struggling with anxiety and and needed uh, some sort of accommodation to help make through the class. And in 2007, that anxiety number went through the roof. And, And when I asked my students today, how, are you struggling with isolation, depression, anxiety? And, uh, and and if the classroom feels like the kind of space where they can acknowledge that, it's almost always 28 to 29 out of 30 students who will raise their hand. And, and that it's, it's fairly easily tied, again, sociologically to the rise of the Internet, to the rise of social media specifically. And I know you've talked about that a bunch. I know people know it. But I think one of the underappreciated things that happened at the same time yeah was that uh, the deconstruction of religious organizations to help hold the fabric of our lives together, and again, I mean the Wednesday night rhythm, the Sunday night rhythm, the community of people that we trust, the shepherds who are our voices, um, all of that began to go by the wayside because of the sheer volume of voices that began to be accessible in social media. And there was a a study out of Baylor done not too long ago that showed and, and demonstrated that by a percentage of at least 50% more likely and perhaps 80% more likely students or young people that are on social media also then abandon their religious affiliations. If they grew up with them, they, they, they take on much more of a, a smorgasbord approach to anything that might be spiritual. And so there's, there certainly is the rejection of religious organization and, and affiliation. Some of them then do cobble together a spirituality from Buddhism uh, or, for maybe uh, some sort of Jainism, some elements of Christianity, maybe some Islamic practices and and that is directly tied to what happened with social media and the internet and the sheer volume of voices that were there. so the article suggested it was a rejection of the religious right that that led to secularism in our country, and I would say that uh, m- almost all of my students, when we talk about politics. They have absolutely no idea what 's going on they they w- They would not even know the religious right if it, if the religious right was standing next to them and And yet they all know social media. I mean every one of them is on it, and again, the the studies show that that has created an individualism in America that has deconstructed those kinds of organizations that hold us together so secularism I think is is tied directly to the rise of that, but regardless of how we got there, it is a very different world in which we live for sure and And I know my colleagues in Europe when they observe America they will say things along the lines of, so we are already fully secularized here in Europe. Um, Religious organizations have very little to say about anything within the social sphere. And they will say, you guys in America are just maybe a generation behind us because of these substantial changes that have taken shape. But in that, there's a tremendous opportunity for the church to stop blending itself with governmental and political power, because that's almost always to the detriment of the church when that happens, and rediscover what it means to be a, a community of Jesus followers that are living through the power of the Spirit to shine light in the world, that you don't need any government policy at all to do that. You need, you need nothing to from the government to, to be kingdom dwellers in this world. And I think that's part of what the invitation is going to be moving forward.
0: Okay, and then um, can we? Do you think we could do this other story in a couple of minutes?
2: Oh, I think we easily could. (laughs) I I think we have to. I think I think it's incumbent upon us, Carmen. I think it's incumbent upon us because research. Yeah,
0: because I like to bring a headline to my conversations with Peter Kapsner that um, are just frankly weird. So (laughs) um, here is the headline of the day. Uh, The headline is: I want to hold your hand, just your hand. Take a long walk on the beach with your robot hand. A new Japanese invention aimed at single men <laughs> stimulates holding a woman's hand. Designed by engineers, uh, the prototype squeezes your palm as you stroll and even secretes small amounts of moisture to imitate sweat. Uh, <laughs> it's so creepy. I, I mean, can.
2: What, what, I, what is there <laughs> to be said about this? car? <laughs> I think sadly, and my son was cluing me into some things that are going on in Japan, and that's actually where the, this robotic hand comes from, is that people are actually changing their romantic relationship um, for, with between human beings, between themselves and, and robots from time to time. And that's a crazy, weird thing to say, but but it certainly has led to the rise of singleness in Japan and some pretty crazy ways where they're talking about Japan might not uh, have even relations down the road because... People are substituting romantic relationships with one another uh, for robotic relationships. And so this hand thing, I thought, oh my gosh, I can't. This is really possible. Now, in fairness, it's my birthday next week, and uh, and I don't need you know a romantic hand holding partner. But what I do, you, you know, I'm a social outcast, and so what I do need is a friend of some kind. And, and if you can, if you and Paul can find a robot that like plays basketball and golf, maybe you know Super Smash Brothers or something, and get it in the mail for me, I would greatly appreciate that. <laughs> greatly i mean i expect uh, actually carmen the tracking number in my email box later this mm, afternoon for my birthday present
0: okay what um what day is your birthday on
2: uh it's next wednesday november 25th
0: okay so we're going to go ahead and do um do your birthday right now because we won't talk to you again before your birthday this is your birthday right. song it isn't very long hey that's it that's what i got
2: <laughs> now i feel very blessed by that carmen I, I will carry that with me into my birthday next week for sure <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, may there be cake and candles. There will certainly be thanksgiving over your life. Um we are grateful for you. I do think that the substitution conversation is the right one to have. Um yeah, any is, sure. any any attempt to substitute um the good relationships that God has made and the good way that God designed us for relationships, any any substitution of that is um is an indication that we live a really long way from Eden. Yes. And so yes. I do think it's an opportunity for people to say, "Hey, this is, let me think about this. This is, this is how God created things to be. This is what I'm looking at right now in terms of technology and the felt need of a person to have someone hold their hand. Um, and then how, as a Christian, can I have a redemptive conversation or intervene on that? Because that, that person does need a friend. They do need, yes. um, you know, they do need physical touch. It's, it, is, it is something that we are literally hardwired for. So, um, yep. and it's not going to be met by the wiring of a robot.
2: Indeed. Yeah, I think it's, yeah. that's really well said, Carmen. That'd be a great segment for another time, too. I mean, one quick thing before I know we got to run but that that is, again, with the young people that are so into social media, there is a you combine that with the pandemic where we can't just simply hug or touch each other anymore. I think that this robot thing is, is really tapping in substitutionary uh, to a felt need that we really have. And, and how can we come around that is a really big conversation and an important one to have for sure.
0: Absolutely. All right. That's Peter Kapsner. This segment is called 50 Shades of Truth. I just need to remind myself of that from time to time. Um, Peter, thanks as always so much. And happy birthday in advance.
2: Yeah. Thanks, you guys. Love being with you and have a great weekend ahead.
0: You too. We got to take a break for Breakpoint. Many uh, listeners right now grew up in or attend churches where the gospel is rightly preached. Um, Many of uh, us are lifelong Christians, and we find ourselves um, confused by what is happening in some of the churches in America today. Uh, I want you to put yourself for a moment in uh, in the context of a believing congregation as a believer— and then recognize that uh, your pastor and the leadership of your church and or denomination are moving in a distinctly progressive direction. So that has been the experience of millions of people in this country over time. Uh, And it is the experience of Elisa Childers. You may know her from Zoe Girl. She is a lifelong Christian, and she thought she'd never question her Christian faith. Raised in a Christian home, uh, she had seen her mom and dad um, actually, you know, sort of do the love-does thing. She would witnessed God at work in her own life. And then um, she was challenged, deeply challenged, when she met what we would describe as a progressive pastor who called himself a hopeful agnostic. She recognized another gospel was being preached. She has now written a book on how to identify that and then how to respond to it. The book is Another Gospel. My guest up next, Elisa Childers. We'll be right back.
1: Are you waiting for Jesus to heal you? Take hope from Jesus' response to the blind man. Have mercy on us, O Lord, they cried. This is Max Locato. Jesus stopped, dead in his tracks. Something caught his attention, a prayer, an unembellished appeal for help. Jesus heard the words and stopped. He still does. And he still asks, What do you want me to do for you? Friend, what in your life needs healing? Jesus' heart went out to the blind men. The scripture says, He had compassion and touched their eyes. He healed them. He will heal you, my friend. I pray he heals you instantly. He may choose to heal you gradually. But this much is sure. Jesus will heal us all, ultimately. And God's children will once again be whole. Jesus heals us all.
0: Joining me now, Elisa Childers. Uh, Her website is elisachilders.com. I have that right? I'm looking on my I'm looking on my notes. Yes, alisachilders.com. dot com, um, and the book is another gospel. Alisa, welcome to Mornings with Carmen.
3: Hi Carmen, good to talk with you.
0: Hey, it's good to talk with you too. So this this shift in the religious landscape, I think, that provokes this conversation, um, is probably one that we should identify at the outset of the conversation. So, what's the cultural movement that's going on that's actually resulting in? the preaching of another gospel, the proclamation of another gospel in our churches?
3: It's a movement called Progressive Christianity. So many of uh, the listeners that are listening to this might remember the emergent church in the late 90s, early 2000s, that came in with some different ideas about God and about the Bible and how we should be reading the Bible and uh, what Christianity means. And essentially, the uh it was I, I think we were able to kind of push that out of the evangelical church but everything kind of reassembled online and then reemerged as progressive christianity in the evangelical church so essentially it's just it's a group of christians that are largely ex-evangelicals who are uh maybe reading the bible in a new way uh adopting cultural norms when it comes to sexuality uh but they're still putting the label christian on it
0: and and sometimes the 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 term evangelical. So now we now have this progressive evangelical movement as well. I think that that's confusing to people who, you know, they're they're comfortable saying that they are Christians and they're comfortable saying that they're evangelicals and so that they assume that everyone else who uses those terms means the same thing by it. That is, I think, the surprise for a lot of people. Those terms do not mean to everyone the same thing.
3: That's right. And that's one thing that's a the hallmark of progressive Christianity is sort of this co-opting of language. So they'll use words like evangelical, they'll use words like divine inspiration, and even incarnation and resurrection, but they mean different things when they use those words.
0: Yeah, so that kind of gets
3: us into some of the
0: key tactic conversations that you, um, that you expose in this book. Again, the book is another gospel. The author is Elisa Childers. I do have books to give away. So if you're already thinking to yourself, this is the apologetics book, this is the conversational book that I need. I recognize, um, that. The face of Christianity has changed, and I don't understand exactly how it has changed. Um, I don't understand progressive Christianity, and I want to be able to identify the false gospel when it is preached um, and when it is presented. This is the book for you. All you have to do is text the word BOOK to 877-933-2484 to enter the drawing for the copies that we have to give away today. Um, So, uh, Elisa, talk about... um, deconstruction? Because you alluded there in your answer to the first question to the fact that people read the Bible differently. There is a different way of reading the Bible in progressive Christianity, and part of that conversation is deconstruction, and I want people to understand what that is.
3: Yeah, so when we talk about kind of co-opting certain words and phrases, this is all sort of tied in with this phenomenon of deconstruction. So many of us have watched our social media news feeds become flooded in some cases with these stories of Christian celebrities, Christian musicians, authors, who go through this process of deconstruction and then they announce, either I don't know what I believe anymore, or I'm out. I'm not a Christian anymore. And so this process of deconstruction, uh, people, again, this is a word people use in in different ways, but it actually has its underpinnings in postmodernism. And so it has to do with sort of explaining away, picking apart all the beliefs that you grew up with as a Christian. And so in some cases, people will deconstruct all the way into to atheism. At other times, they'll deconstruct maybe right up to the edge of it into some kind of agnosticism. But this is something we have to understand about this progressive Christian movement is, you know, the, the movement together can include agnostics and atheists. Um, they're, they're sort of travel in some of the same podcasts and some of the same groupings. And so, Uh, It's not just referring to somebody who went through a time of doubt. Maybe they're reassessing their beliefs and they go, no, I think all my beliefs are correct. This really has to do with the tearing apart of your faith, really on the level of what words actually mean. I I remember when I was uh, in a class in a progressive church, I was sitting in a chair and I just remember thinking, I mean, I hadn't heard the word deconstruction yet, but that's what was going on for so many people in this class. And I just remember sitting in this chair going, you know, I could explain away this chair, like I could, I could get into the molecules and what this means and what arms actually mean and what the word chair actually means. And I could make a case that this isn't actually a chair, but that's still, that wouldn't reflect reality, even if I was able to do that with the way I was using language. And so deconstruction works uh, a lot like that. And, and that's, that's the whole kind of, Point in progressive christianity it 's a rite of passage it 's something that you know for for you to be really a part of this movement, you have to go through this process of deconstruction
0: so Elisa, you know when you describe it that way um, i'm i 'm remembering an experience that I had my first year of seminary when um, it was explained to me that the goal of the exercise at the seminary that I attended was that they were going to take away, or they were going to take apart what was my working functional faith. Um, think of it like a watch. We are going to take it apart, and it will be your responsibility to put it back together if you can. Wow. That And they were very clear that that's what they were doing. And people didn't just abandon their faith, they abandoned the church. Um, and mm. I suppose if you abandon your faith, you should abandon the church, But part of what you are addressing um, in this book, Another Gospel, is that people abandon the faith, and then they still lead the church, and that is a problem. So we're going to address that when we come back. My guest is Elisa Childers. The book is Another Gospel. Yes, I have copies to give away. If you're interested in entering the drawing, text the word BOOK to 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. I am talking with award-winning CCM recording artist Elisa Childers, part of Zoe Girl. She's also a very popular speaker at Apologetics and Christian Worldview Conferences. Um, She has written a book. It is Another Gospel. talks about her own experience of waking up to the reality of progressive Christianity and then teaching us how to identify it and address it in the world today. Um, Elisa, talk about the encroachment of another gospel into the life of the church?
3: Well, I titled the book that way because I think many Christians are under the misconception that progressive Christians are just a group of, you know, earnest Christian believers who might just be more mission-minded, or they might just be changing their minds on some political issues or something like that. But what we need to understand is that progressive Christianity At its fundamental core level, is theological. So all of the the political changes, all of those, uh, you know, changing their minds on social things, this this is finding its root in the way that they view who God is, what the Bible is. And, you know, what Jesus accomplished on the cross, all of these questions are informing the worldview of uh, progressive Christianity. So this this isn't just a movement of Christians that are that are changing their minds. This is this is a foundational uh, attack on historic Christianity. And so that's why I titled the book that way, because I argue in the book by going through some of these theological points that I think that's the case. Yeah,
0: I'm thinking here of uh, Machen's Christianity and liberalism. There is a conversation here about another faith. We're not just talking about um, you know, a a slightly different version. Um, we are talking about another gospel. Obviously, the the referent there is Paul's admonition to the Christians in Galatia. And yeah. so um maybe let's talk about how to identify it. Uh what are what are some of the ways that people can use to determine if their church is demonstrating progressive leanings and proclaiming another gospel?
3: There are certain signs you can look for in your church. The number one thing I'd be looking for is the way that your church leadership talks about the Bible. So historically, Christians, although we've certainly disagreed over things uh, like interpretations, is why we have so many denominations, but Historically speaking, if you go back to the earliest Christians and trace that through church history, Christians have believed that the Bible is God's inspired, infallible, inherent uh, word that this, this, we are beholden to obey it. It's, it has authority over us. And largely in the progressive church, they don't view the Bible that way. So they're going to look at the Bible as a record of what people believed about God in their times and places. But it, it's not really authoritative for our lives as far as us looking at the Bible as God's words to us. So they might think you can find God's word in it somewhere at certain points or the word of God might come to you as you read it but the whole thing from Genesis to Revelation is not viewed as the infallible word of God in the progressive church so you might hear a pastor say something like you know I think Paul had biases and prejudices that uh, affected what he said about women or you might hear a pastor say well I disagree with Peter on this point uh and so so that would be a big sign another sign to look for would be how they uh, how they actually go about preaching the gospel. So uh, largely in the progressive church, it's a works-based gospel because they don't like the narrative of us being born uh, in, in this good uh, situation and then we rebel against God, passing sin nature down to each human. Jesus dies on the cross to save us from our sin. He's coming again, final judgment. They don't like that narrative. So largely that's get, that gets jettisoned in favor of social justice. Now, certainly Christians are Demanded in the Bible to do good works and to stand up for the oppressed and do biblical justice in the world. But in the progressive church, that is the gospel. But of course, we know we, you can't earn your salvation. And so it, it becomes uh, really burdensome, I think, for people. Uh, and, and so the cross, again, if they don't like that narrative, you might hear the cross referred to as something like cosmic child abuse. If you, if you hear that term or divine abuse in relation to the cross, that's a huge sign that that your church leadership is heading in this direction.
0: Oh, yeah. I'm completely familiar with that particular um, approach. Um, And it is helpful, Elisa, to be having this conversation. For those of us who come out of mainline Christianity, these are conversations we've been having for a fairly long period of time. It has arrived in the evangelical church. It has arrived in um, more conservative expressions of the Christian family. Um, And I— I think I want to give a a word of encouragement, Um, I'd like for you to give a word of encouragement to people listening right now who kind of woke up to the fact that their church, the congregation of which they have been a part for a long time, has really shifted uh, on the foundation, um, undermined the foundation of the Scriptures. Is preaching another gospel, and they've they've just sort of recently like woken up to that reality they um it, it happened over time and they kind of missed it along the way. What's the counsel to um to a person who's experiencing that?
3: yeah well, you know. The first thing I would say is be encouraged to know that we are not the first Christians in history to have to stand up against false gospels coming into the church. And like you mentioned, this kind of these theological conclusions have been sort of burning their way through the Protestant mainline denominations for for hundreds of years, going back to when you mentioned Machen's book when he was writing. It's like we're going through the exact same thing now in the evangelical church. So be encouraged to know that this has happened before. The other thing I would encourage listeners uh, to do is speak up. So so when you see some of these ideas coming into your church, you've got to speak up. Have a meeting with your pastor. Do it lovingly. Do it uh, winsomely, respectfully. But but share your concerns and say, look, I'm looking at Scripture and it says this, and then I'm seeing some of these other ideas coming in that seem to contradict that. I'm concerned about it. Can you, Can we start a conversation? And I think we can do that. In a very loving and respectful way with our pastors, I have found that, you know, there are the occasional times when someone will do that, and the pastor was like, "Oh my goodness, I had no idea that this author that I was reading is a part of this progressive Christianity." And sometimes the ship will get turned back. Sometimes it doesn't, and that the meetings don't go well. But you know, biblically, we're we're commanded to speak up when people are. Uh, trying to bring, especially church leadership, you know, it's, it's, it's church leaders job to protect uh, the church from wolves. And even in Titus, when it's giving qualifications for a church elder, it's their job to be able to refute false doctrine. This is like your job. And so I would just encourage um, the church for the church to remain healthy. We we've got to rise up and speak up and, and do it lovingly and winsomely and persuasively. But um, we can't just sit back and watch it happen and not say anything.
0: Alisa Childers is the author. You can find her at alisachilders.com. The book is Another Gospel, but she's also got a lot of material there on her website um, for you as well. So I invite you to check that out. Uh, if you are interested in enter the draw, entering the drawing for the books we have available here in studio, just text the word BOOK to 877-933-2484. Elisa, um, privileged to talk with you today. Thank you for not only the content of um, of this book and other gospel, but the spirit in which you approach these conversations. We do need to be equipped to identify error, and then we need to be prepared to address it winsomely. And you do that uh, so well. So thank you so much. Thank you. All right, friends, we got to take one more brief break, and then we'll be back. All right, I can't believe how fast uh, the time flies in conversations with you and our and our friends. Um, thank you so much for the privilege of your company. It really, I I pray for you. I trust you. Pray for me as well. Um, pray for those. People who we have on the air, pray for Paul today. The producer of our program, he is—he's uh, the one who who comes up with um, all that really good music in and out of segments. And so, um, in addition to planning out uh, what we do here and contacting our guests and being sure that they, you know, have a good connection when they're on and on and on. He's the one that posts the podcast. So, just uh, pray today for Paul. Um, always good to be mindful of the people who make happen what is happening here on the air. And that includes you. If you are a supporter of Faith Radio, I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. You actually make this happen. You are a radio missionary. You are sending the Word of God out over the airwaves um, to people in places and spaces that really, frankly, are hard to even imagine. So, thank you for your participation in the ministry tons of great resources and opportunities posted right now at myfaithradio.com. That is your sort of one-stop place to get um, access not only to the podcast, but to all the great stuff we got going on right now in the lead up to Advent. And so just encourage you to check out everything that is posted there at myfaithradio.com. Share today's show with someone new. Pass along what you have received to others that the good news of the gospel might extend to more and more people. That's our heart's desire here.